Um, tonight's year, I'm going to talk about uh, something which probably uh, is the most significant event, certainly of the past week, and that is the death, the demise of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, she died uh, last week, and of course the whole world is basically in shock. And what's interesting about uh, her, I mean, there's a lot to say, but um, is that she probably is the most famous woman in the world. You know, people don't realize how extensive her presence was. You know, because people don't realize what England is. You know, you have England, you have Wales, and you have Scotland. That all forms basically the uh, uh, Britain, Great Britain. But really, it's the UK, United Kingdom, and what the United Kingdom is, it's a group of nations that all recognize Queen Elizabeth II as the head of state. I think there are 57 countries that recognize her, the royalty, of, as uh, the uh, head of state. So she is, her picture is probably, you know, the, the most famous picture in the world. It's all over. Every commonwealth, you know, there's Canada, there's Australia. Uh, but there, there's so many countries that are part of the commonwealth, you know. So every country has her picture on their money, on their documents. And I think every, every law that they state is a, is a law that recognizes Her Majesty, you know, commands or says and so on. Now, what's very important to understand, so I want to talk a little about that, especially, you know, as a Jewish person, we want to look at something, one, as honest as we can be. And, of course, the world has their illusions, or should I say delusions, about what all this means and so on, you know. They have their way of thinking. But as, as Jewish people, Torah-observant people, you know, what we always look at is what's the Torah perspective or what is the perspective uh, from Hashkofa, from the divine plan of creation? How do we view this? You know, the whole concept of uh, a king or a queen, the whole concept of royalty. So I want to talk about that and also what I think uh, is really significant in terms of what, what this, this means or it could mean or what is it all about. So uh, I, I want to talk about that. I think it will be very, very interesting. So this year is really about, uh, you know, royalty of Britain, the British Commonwealth, the United Kingdom, especially the death of uh, or the demise of Queen Elizabeth II. What, what it means or what it could mean uh, for uh, the, the Jewish people and so on. And in a certain way, when you think about that way, it could be really very surprising. First of all, I want to mention, it's interesting, but I remember uh, I watched her coronation. I think she was coronated as queen. Her father died, uh, I think, George the Sixth. Uh, he was the King of England. I think he died in 1953. I think she was coronated in 1954. 
And I was a little kid. And I remember watching her carnation on television. You know, um, I was able to see it on television in those days. That's a long time ago. 1954, I think it was. And I watched the carnation, so, uh, which was very interesting. I mean, even I remember now, you know, watching it, and it was filled with pomp, tremendous amount of pomp and glamour, and and glitz, and really steeped in in tradition. You know, you you saw all the priests. I think it took place in Westminster Abbey. I think that's where it took place. But I remember seeing it. It was really, in uh, many ways, it was fascinating. So I just want to mention that, you know, that I actually saw her being coronated. She was very young. She was born in 1926. She died, obviously, now, and she was 96 years old. I mean, if you think about it, she, she had an incredible life. Uh, you know, uh, even though she wasn't a real monarch, she was a monarch, but she wasn't an absolute monarch. You know, I mean, when you take a look at somebody who's an absolute monarch, like Louis XIV of France, he was an absolute monarch. And he became the king of France when he was four years old. So he is considered, I think, the longest monarch ever. 77 years. That's how long he was a monarch. That's a long time. But he was an absolute king. What's an absolute king? An absolute king is not only a person who can lead, you know, the executive. He actually leads a nation. But he can promulgate laws. You know, they may have a council or whatever. But he can order a person to be killed just on his word alone. Whereas uh, Queen Elizabeth was not an uh, absolute monarch. She was what's called a constitutional monarchy where the laws of England are made by Parliament, they are a legislative body, and not her. But, you know, she's a sign, she's got her traditions, you know, and uh, she, they look to her for leadership, for decisions, but not legislative, you know, for legal and so on. But uh, whatever it was, her, her monarchy really, if you really think about that, was studded with royalty. I mean, she was royal up and down the aisle, as they say. And, you know, what's amazing how much they pay for that royalty, England. You know, England pays, I don't know if you know it, but the, I think the budget last year for her monarchy to uphold and to maintain her royalty, you know, because she has pa- pa- ca- palaces and castles all over the place. And we know, you know, uh, there's Buckingham Palace in London, and there's Balmoral in Scotland, uh, there's Windsor ca- Palace uh, Castle in, uh, in, in London, where, where I went, I actually was in there. But, and you feel, you can feel the tremendous royalty, but they paid for this. The budget for the, uh, to maintain that royalty was, I think, 198 million pounds. That's more than $198 million. Uh, maybe it's uh, like uh, $250 million and so on, you know. It's a phenomenal amount of money to maintain this. Uh, uh, this uh, it's really an illusion 
of, of a specialty called a monarchy. And there are many people that say, well, well, this is ridiculous. What do we need it for? But like I say, you know, it, gives, it allows the British to have a sense of self, a sense of greatness, because they can always say, you know, we have royalty, we have a monarchy, and, and therefore look at who we are. It's more an ego stunt than anything else. But whatever it is, it's filled with tradition. I mean, that monarchy goes back a long way, which is a really, uh, I mean, really a long way. Um, most people don't know, but, uh, you know, it starts, I think, if I remember correctly, with William the Conqueror, who conquered, he was a Norman, and he conquered England in 1066 CE. That's, that's a long time ago. You know, it's like over, it's almost a thousand years ago. And I think she stems from that. But most people don't know that he, I think, uh, he stems from Germany, the House of Hanover. That's really who she was. Her origins are German. Most people, I think, in England don't realize that. But she stems from the Germans and so on, you know. Even though she wants to, you know, everybody to believe she's a pure British stock. But in any case, uh, you know, this is uh, uh, who she was. And like I say, you know, she was, uh, a, I mean, a, a real, she was the model, no question about that, the model of royalty, you know. Um, and you can imagine what kind of life that is. And there are people who spend days Years, they call them royal watches, you know, who watch the royalty and so on, you know. In any case, uh, she's gone. And I had certain ideas about what it could mean and how it could, uh, you know, uh, contribute to the whole messianic process. And that's what I want to do. Anyway, um, this year, before I go on, this year should be a merit for the health and success of the families of Regina Bas Yosef Ruvain and Yeshaya um, Ben Yisrael. Uh, it should be a merit for the health and success of these families, as I said, of Regina Bas Yosef Ruvain and Yeshaya Ben Yisrael. In any case, so in order to understand England, you really have to go back, you see, and you have to be honest can't be deluded like everybody else is, you know. Uh, but you have to be honest in terms of who they are and what they really did and what they really stand for. And then uh, you, you begin to get a feel of what, of what is going on. In any case, we know that uh, Asaph, who is the brother of Yaakov Avino, right, that the Torah says that Asaph became Edom, you know that. And the Gemara says that Edom became Rome. Right? Edom uh, becomes Rome. <clears throat> Rome changed and became Christianity. And Christianity becomes Western civilization. So really, Western civilization, I've said this before, uh, Western civilization is really Esau. Right? And uh, like the Torah says, we are under the exile, the gullus of Esau, you see. Now, I had also mentioned that Esau really has what? 
Esav has three characteristics. One is gaiva, tremendous amount of arrogance and conceit and hubris, whatever. The second characteristic of Esav is that Esav has mirma, the fraud. He's dishonest. He's an imposter. He pretends to be something that he's not. He pretends to be righteous, a good person, but really very evil. It's all a cover-up. So that's called fraud. Okay? It's called mirma. And the third characteristic of Esau, right, is taiva, tremendous into physical pleasure, tremendous into what's called zimo, geneva, especially with tzicho, murder. That's his favorite pastime. And as such, obviously, very evil person. That's who Esau was. So, as I said, Western civilization is Esau. And the, mostly the exile of the Jews has been in Western civilization. You know. <clears throat> and therefore, <clears throat> Western civilization is divided into those, into na- three nations, so to speak, that have those characteristics. The first characteristic, which is the gaiva, I've mentioned quite a while ago, right? The gaiva of Esau is Russia. Russia is the Russian Orthodox Church. But Russia became the worst part of Esau, which is the gaiva of Esau, right? Russia became that under communism. So Russia as communist is the gaiva of Esau, Tremendous arrogance, the atheism of, of, of Esav. So that's one. The second aspect of Esav is the Mirmor, the fraudulent, the imposter, you know, the pretender of righteousness. And that's Europe. Europe is that. And we see that. I mean, Europe is basically Christian. And Europe has been engaged with wars for an enormous amount of time. I mean, the whole history of Europe is basically a history of wars for a thousand years, you know, uh, and, and so on. Not only World War One, World War Two, and all the wars, wars between England and France, and, uh, you know, you had Italy, you had Spain, you had the Balkans. It was astounding how many people died because of the uh, fraudulent aspect of, uh, of Asa, which is represented, uh, as I said, by Christianity in terms of Europe itself, you see. And that's a very important idea, you see. Now, if you think about it, you know, the essential aspect of Europe uh, was, uh, was Britain. I mean, the, the major nations of Britain, you know, uh, you know, certainly in the last thousand years, is England, which, which, which was a world power. And then, of course, you had France. But England was a world power for a long time, you see. In fact, they, they said, this is a, before, uh, England today is reduced uh, in terms of what they were. But what England was for a thousand years, ever since William uh, the Conqueror conquered Britain, England was a world power. I mean, uh, the, 
they said that the uh, sun never set on a British Commonwealth. England, I think the the statistic is, England had had a, they were in control in the 19th century, right, of 25 percent. I think that's what the percentage is of the land mass of the planet Earth. That's how many countries was under England in 1840, 50, 60, 70, uh, especially by Queen Victoria and so on. So England really represents a, a major essential aspect of ASOV. That's England. So this identifies England in terms biblically, uh, in terms of who they really are, you see. And when you think about that, you take a look at what England did. And I just want to go through some of those ideas. England was involved in what's called colonization. They were into enslaving, maybe that's true. Uh, that's a very harsh word, but it's true. They tried to take over country after country. And they would always proclaim his majesty. You know, this is what we want. I mean, I'm not even talking about the... American colonies uh, that were formerly British. We know that uh, in 1776, America rebelled against England. A great deal of the world was English. It's amazing. They were into colonization. And as such, <clears throat> they were brutal. In order to take over a colony, in order to take over a country and make it, you know, some vassal state, you know, you have to kill people for this. And people are not going to let you walk in and take over their country. So England was engaged in an enormous amount of wars. And wars, we all know, means killing people, murder, which is a terrible sin. Because you think about it, what gives them the right to walk in and try to take a country, you know, by force, right? It's vicious, it's murder, it's asov. The classic ace of engaging in his, you know, in his what? In his popular pastime of murder. That's England. Yeah. I mean, they like to think of themselves as the glory of his majesty. You know, the English colonies. I mean, they had a tremendous amount of countries that they controlled. You had India. You know, <clears throat> uh, even China until it was reduced to Hong Kong. You know, China, you had Australia, uh, you had so much of Europe and the American colonies and so on, all controlled in Africa, controlled by England. It's enormous, and so on. And uh, the way they got there, of course, is by killing people. That's how they took over. In fact, you know, it's a, not only were they brutal in taking over other countries, without permission, you know, if you want to take over a country to try to help them modernize, then you need their permission. You can't just walk in, kill the people, and take over. That's exactly what they did. So we're really looking at, really, in many ways, if we want to be honest, we're looking at a country, right, that represents murder. That's really what it is, if you want to be really honest. That's what they're doing. And they're doing it all in the name of His Majesty, or Her Majesty, I mean, Victoria. She was a queen for many, many years, you know. And whenever they go to war, it's all for the glory of Her Majesty. So we, if we, we can't get carried away. What you're really looking at is a queen 
that is a head of state that represents a murderous country. I mean, what, what, what is that supposed to mean, you know? And that's the, that's the truth. The Queen of England represents, as a head of state, a country that is engaged in bullying people, making them suffer, killing people, making wars. This is what she's a head of state. I mean, is this something to be proud of? Of course not. So that's the, if you really want to think about, that's the truth. And I remember, you know, if I remember correctly, uh, in the end of 18, I think, uh, 70 or 80 or 90, uh, I'm trying to remember, you know, England took over China, and what they did was something astounding. They had China, the Chinese people, they saturated China with opiates. You know, why? Because they wanted to sell them opium. So the whole China was drugged. I think that was called the Boxer Rebellion, if I remember correctly. But could you imagine the Chinese people all drugged? Why? Because England wanted to sell them drugs. What kind of a riches is this, you see? And that's really what England is. It's a murderous country that's filled with evil. So when you look at it and you ask yourself, you know, who's the head of state? And the head of state is either his majesty or her majesty. Is that something to be proud of? You see? Now, let's, you know, come up to the, uh, to the, uh, the last hundred years. And we begin to realize something. That what England did was terrible. Incredible evil. You know, they came out in 1917 with what's called the Balfour Declaration where they said that His Majesty views that the Jewish people should have England, or excuse me, should have Palestine, they call it Palestine, with favor that the Jews should have a land of their own, which is very nice. That's great. So they had the League of Nations that used to be, that was the forerunner of the United Nations, uh, you know. So what they did, you see, is that they had a conference, I think it was called the San Remo Conference in Italy, I think in 1923, where they proclaimed that uh, Israel should get the uh, Palestine. Now, that included not only Israel, what Israel is today, but I think as part of that declaration, what also was included, what the Jews should get, is Jordan, and they call it Jordan, right? So Jordan was included with the land that was designated for it by the League of Nations. And the League of Nations was a, a, a group of nations based on international law, as far as I know. This is the fabric of international law. And they made England, they gave it the mandate to try to carry that out, you see, where the Jews will get Palestine, which includes Jordan, you see. And this was in 1923. What happened? And there's an entire book written about this for those who want to read. Famous book, which was written at that time. It's by a woman, her name is Joan Peters, and she wrote a book called From Time Immemorial. 
and she goes through the history of Palestine in those days before Israel became a state. And she documents, tremendous book, she documents what the British did to carry out their mandate. And what's incredible is that the problems that you see now in Israel, all the wars with the Arabs, the whole problem that Israel has now is directly at the door of England. They're the ones who did this. Because oil was discovered, I think, in 1934 in Saudi Arabia or whatever. So the British wanted to curry favor with the Arabs. So what they did is they made a deal. They did several things. Even though they had the mandate to help Israel, the Jews, get back Palestine. So instead of adhering to that declaration, which was the legal declaration of the entire world, see where the world recognized that Israel should have its place as a nation. So instead, they made a deal with, I think what his name was, Abdullah, which I think is the father of, um, uh, of uh, Hussein, of Jordan. They gave him Jordan. That means they took away 80% of the land that was supposed to go to the Jews, and England made a deal with Hussein in order to, and they gave it to him, right, so they could get oil or they can have access to oil or, or whatever, which was terrible. It was a violation of the agreement that the League of Nations did. This is England, right? So they're already betraying the actual declaration of the League of Nations, you see. Not only that, not only did they give Jordan away, 80% of what should have gone to Israel is in the hands of Jordan. Jordan did not exist in those years. It was a created state that was given to, like I say, Hussein by England, illegally. Not only that, but they allowed tremendous Arab immigration Apparently, the Arab countries were doing very poorly economically. But Israel was doing very well economically, even though it wasn't really a state. So what the Arabs did is they wanted to all go to Israel, because that's where the money was. That's where the economy was doing great. So what England did, and they were in charge of the immigration, what they did is they allowed Arabs to immigrate, right, to Israel without any real qualifications. If you wanted to come to Israel, you were in, which was illegal because you're supposed to be giving this land to the Jews. They're supposed to be having this, right? Uh, so where do you come off allowing people from other nations, especially from Syria, the Syrian Arabs, where do you come off allowing that? This is illegal. Yet they allowed Arabs to immigrate to Israel, right? to emigrate, let's say, from Syria, to immigrate into Israel, without any real, uh, what do you call it, qualifications or justification. That's where the, most of the Arabs who lived there, let's say, 1920 or 1930, right, that was because of England. And that's what created the problem. You see, why there's so many Arabs in the first place. Because they really shouldn't be there. They were allowed to come 
they wanted to come for economic reasons, but the English allowed them in, you see. So that was the, the second thing that these people did. Jordan was one when they gave it to the Arabs, which was supposed to go to Israel. And the second thing was the Arab immigration, which was really illegal. And then the third thing, which was terrible, what was that? We know that Kristallnacht, which is the night that they, well, they broke the crystals, it was the night that Germany declared that the Jews have to be punished, right, in 1938, November 9th, 1938, right? Uh, and they destroyed an enormous amount of synagogues, shuls, right? And many Jews were murdered, and they shut the businesses of thousands of Jews or, or, or thousands of Jews and so on. It was horrendous. It was a slaughter of Jews. And this happened, like I said, November 9th, if I remember correctly, 1938, right? And then uh, there was a conference, because then the Germans would began to persecute the Jews, right? So there was an Evian conference, I think in, also 1938, right, where the nation said, look, we, we don't want the Jews coming to our country. So Hitler saw that, that nobody really cares about the Jews. So he knew he could get away with murdering or killing the Jews. So what happened? So you would say, wait a minute, if this is what's going to happen, is the slaughter of the Jews, right? So then... Uh, we have to allow, England should have said, we obviously have to encourage immigration to Israel because that's really their country, according to the League of Nations, right? And not only that, for humanitarian reasons, it's their country, right? So what England should have said is that, of course, Jews can come to England, right, without any problem. Instead, after Kristallnacht, and I think after the Evian Conference, they issued what was called the White Paper in 1939, if I remember correctly, which forbade the Jews from coming to, uh, to Israel. Could you believe this? And this is life and death, right? They actually forbade, right, prohibited Jews from coming to Israel. Could you imagine people are being slaughtered by the Nazis? And finally, in 1942, in Wansi, there was a conference for the final solution to kill all the Jews and so on. So could you imagine that the Jews had no place to flee? Who knows how many Jews died at the hands of the Nazis in Machshamam because they had no place to run. No country would take them. And there are many, many stories about this, right? And not only that, not only would no country take them, but they couldn't even go to Israel. Even though the League of Nations said that this country is specifically mandated for the Jewish people. I mean, this is a life and death of Jewish people. People are being murdered. And you prevent Jews from going to Israel? I'm not even going to the fact that in the Bible, which Christianity recognizes as legitimate, <coughs> That it says, God says, how many times does it say in the Torah that God is giving the land of Israel to the Jewish people? That the first Rashi in Bratius talks about that. And that's why the Torah starts with, 
you know, the creation to show that the world is God and he can give Israel to whomever he wants. So it authorizes and legitimatizes the fact that Israel is, belongs to the Jews. So England, notwithstanding that they now have no place to flee, right, prevents them from coming to Israel. Who knows how many Jews were stuck in their country? And then, of course, what would happen is Germany would take over different nations. And the first thing that the, uh, the uh, Nazis, you see, would do is round up all the Jews, take them out, and shoot them. Because they have no place to flee. Could you imagine, after this, that England says you can't come to Israel? And finally, of course, you know, you had the Haganah, not the Haganah, you had the, uh, um, the other, uh, the other uh, group of people, you know, who fought them and so on, right? Uh, to try to uh, allow the Jews to come in, yet you had the very famous events, the event of the Exodus, where Britain prevented it from coming to Israel. You're talking about Ritzicho. You're talking about murder, right? England is responsible for untold amount of death of Jews because they prevented it because of the white paper. Think about that. Now you have to ask yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, where's your king? The one who was king at that time, if I remember correctly, was King George VI. Where was this guy? How do you allow your country, right, to issue a decree which means the death of tens of thousands, who knows, maybe millions of Jews who cannot go to a country that's legally mandated for them. Where is this guy? Nowhere. You know, as far as I know, I don't know if he ever said a word about any of this. Now, even if he doesn't want to involve himself in the politics of England, because it is a constitutional monarchy, right? This isn't politics. This is life and death. How could you allow a country that you represent, that does things in your name, right? This is His Majesty's will. How do you allow this to happen? Now, how do you think God looks at this? You think He's fooled by the fact that these people call themselves king or queen or whatever? Of course not. That's the real concept of what is going on, you see. <clears throat> And this is what they honor and cherish. Now, I don't know uh, Queen Elizabeth II. I mean, she, she appears to be a very decent woman and so on. You know, she had an incredible life and so on. But did she ever uh, come out and apologize what England did for the Jews in the Holocaust? How many tens of hundreds of thousands of Jews died because of the white paper and what England did to the Jewish people. I don't recall such a thing. Maybe I'm wrong, you know. But where is the queen? How could she not say anything? Uh, we're not talking here about politics. Even if, like I say, even if you don't want to engage in politics, okay, this is life and death. This is people dying illegally, which means they should have given Israel, right, Palestine, to the Jewish people. So how could you keep them out? So I don't know. Did she ever make a statement about her country's contribution to the Holocaust, 
to the death of Jews. It's incredible. And I believe that's why God punished England in several ways. One, she's no longer, you know, one of the great nations of the world. I mean, her, her spread of, uh, of influence over the world is gone. You know, what is she, even if she's a first world nation, she's nothing compared to what she was, you know, 100 years ago. That's the first tremendous diminishment of her power and her status. <clears throat> the second thing, you know, Dunkirk, the Nazis almost killed thousands of British. It was a mess, a miracle that somehow they survived Dunkirk and, and, and so on, you know. So what we begin to see is tremendous amount of murder, vicious, of what England did. And even if George didn't contribute to it in the sense that he was responsible for the white paper, but you're the king. And we're talking here about murder. Where's you, where are you? Where's your statement? Now, this responsibility of condemning murder of what England did to the Jewish people, an incredible betrayal to the League of Nations, is the same responsibility to Queen Elizabeth II. Did she ever make a statement? No, I don't think so. I may be wrong, but I don't think so. But how do you do that? How do you condone this? You know, I do know one thing I heard, that she visited in her, 90, in, in her 70 years as queen, because that's how long she was queen, she visited 120 countries in the 70 years, which is interesting. And she never once visited Israel. Not once. Even though she visited 120 countries, and she visited many Arab countries more than once. So could you believe that she never visited Israel out of the 120 countries for 70 years? I mean, what is that supposed to say? You see, and uh, which is, when you think about that, it's amazing. And what there's something else even more amazing is Prince Philip, who's our husband, his mother, I think she was of Greek royalty. She was an Oivy Israel. I think she's considered one of the righteous of the Gentiles. She actually harbored to protect them from the Nazis. I think it was in Greece, you know, from the Nazis when they came into Greece killing Jews. I think she actually protected and she sheltered a Jewish family. And I think that's why she's considered one of the righteous. This is Prince Philip's mother. That's the mother-in-law of Queen Elizabeth. And, you know, she's buried in Israel, you know. So she never even visited the grave of her mother-in-law, as far as I know, right? And this is her mother-in-law. This is her husband's uh, um, uh, mother, her mother-in-law. What is that supposed to mean, you see? <clears throat> Which I find to be actually astounding, you see. This is the way you have to look at it in an honest way. We're not talking here about, you know, making a bad trade deal with Israel. We are talking about not only the Jews took them so long until Israel became part of the Jewish people, but we're talking about that so many Jews died because they had no place of refuge. And this was after Kristallnacht. 
This was after it became apparent of what the Nazis want to do to the Jews. They still shut down Israel for the Jewish people. A very important point. And I want to tell you something. Man forgets. Man overlooks because he has self-interest. But I want to tell you something. God does not overlook. And God does not forget. Right? The life of one Jew is unbelievably precious. It's infinitely valuable. Right? And to cause the death of one Jew, especially when it's illegal, contribution to murder, right? Who can believe what the punishment is to this country and so on? And uh, I, I can't believe it's in any way honorable for a woman to represent a bunch of murderers. And that's what they've been doing for hundreds of years. It's not only to the Jewish people, to the whole world how brutal they were to so many countries that they took over. and They prided themselves. You see, with the greatness of the glory of England, of His Majesty or whatever, or Her Majesty, Queen Victoria and so on, right? God does not forget. This is really if you want to be honest. But if you want to delude yourself and say, well, the monarchy, it's royal and so on. Um, well, that's purely delusional and so on. You know, um, but I but I have to say I don't really know her personally at all. Obviously, I don't really know much about it. You know, in, in many ways she could have been a, a, a very honorable woman. She certainly was known as a very decent person, a very, a very nice person, very charming, and so on. So I'm not. And nobody's taking that away from her. I'm looking at the big picture of what happened to the Jews because of a country that she represents. And, and I don't know if she ever came out and said, we made a terrible mistake, right? Millions or hundreds of thousands of Jews died because of us. And we are responsible for untold suffering of nations for the hundreds of years, you right, that we try to colonize many people. Believe me, God does not forget. Now, there is a way also of looking at this, which I believe, that maybe, if you think about that, right, <clears throat> I mean, America is being destroyed by the Democratic Party, of which Biden is really uh, a representative. He's a puppet of the Democratic Party. And hopefully this November, he will be slaughtered in the polls, hopefully, and so on. So what we're really looking at is at the fall of Asov, the evil of Esau, the Rasha of Esau. And hopefully that will come to an end and begin an entire, you know, messianic process. That's the hope. I believe that it's very possible that the death of Queen Elizabeth II indicates the fall of another major nation of Esau, and that is Britain, right? Because when a monarch falls... It is symbolic of the beginning of the diminishment, right, and the fall of a country. And Britain, as I showed, right, is, represents the evil of Esau. And believe me, they fulfill that to a T. So it's very possible that the death of this woman, okay, who represents Britain, is, represents a beginning of a fall of Britain, 
which is really the fall of the evil of Esav. So it's interesting that together with America, there seems to be the evil of Esav is falling, both in America, the Democratic Party, and in England. In fact, what's even more interesting is that they even have a new prime minister. I mean, I think think her name is Liz Truss. She met uh, Queen Elizabeth II two days before she died, which is interesting. So the whole the whole government is really, in a certain sense, uh, you know, at a standstill or it being uh, really severely curtailed. They have tremendous problems with inflation and uh, energy prices, you see, and uh, uh, labor shortages, whatever. I mean, in many ways, their economy is doing very bad. So I'm wondering if her death is a symbol of the beginning of the fall of this evil of Esau that they've that they have really done, you see, you know. Also, what's interesting to note is she's going to have an incredible levaya. She's going to have an unbelievable burial, you see. So what that does, which is interesting, is it heightens tremendously an awareness of Malchus. I mean, she was the classic, uh, in many ways, uh, queen. Empress, you know, of a kingdom, the British Empire, and so on. She represented that. So in her funeral, she all of a sudden increases an enormous awareness of, of kingship, of Malchus, because that, that funeral is going to be an incredible funeral. So is it possible that God now wants to make the world aware of what a kingdom is, Right? Why? Because it maybe means that we are about to see very shortly a kingdom of the Mashiach. And therefore, he wants to show you, God wants to show you, let me show you what a kingdom is by watching, you know, how they honor their dead and so on. Because I'm going to bring the Malchus of the Mashiach, the kingship of the Mashiach. And I want to tell you something, there's a Chazal that say, the oilum heavy ruts, you should always run to see a king of the nations of the world. A Goyish king, a king of a, of a nation of Goyim. Why? So you could see what a king really is, right? And then you'll realize that the kingship, the kingdom of the Mashiach, be a million times greater than what you're looking at. Could you imagine what that Chazal says? says, you can't rely on your idea. No. You need to see what it is to be a king. The honor, the prestige, the glory, the glamour of what it is to be a king. And then look at this and then think, right, that this is nothing compared to the Melech HaMashiach. When the Mashiach comes, his kingdom will be astounding to watch. And we don't even know what that is. But if our rabbis tell us that you should know what it is so you can understand what his kingdom will be like, then run to look at their kings. You see? So in a certain sense, it would be interesting to watch the funeral. You see? Because that will give you a feeling that the kingdom of the Mashiach a thousand times more glorious and more greater 
which is very interesting. So you can compare it to the Mashiach himself, you see. So that could be an, uh, another reason why it's happening now, because maybe we are very close to the Messianic era, which I believe we are, and therefore God wants to make the entire world aware of what a kingdom is, what a king or a queen is, the glory of that. So you will understand that the glory of Mashiach will be a million times greater, you see. And also, which I, 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 I think, which is very interesting, you see, is that when you look at what a kingdom is, that is what every Jew is going to be. You don't realize that, that every Jew is going to be a king, the equivalent of a king. Yeah, how many Jews really are there, right? There's almost 8 billion people on this planet. That's a lot of people, right? 8 billion. And of those, there's only, what, 15 and a half million Jews? That's less than one quarter of 1% of the world's population. So in the Messianic era, every Jew will be of the same status as Queen Elizabeth but much greater, right? Every Jew, every Jewess, every male Jew, every female Jew will have the status of a king much greater than Elizabeth was. And when we take a look at what her stature, we say, wow, you know, we, we, we gawk at the honor and the glory given to this woman. Yet that's what's going to happen to every Jew, right, male or female, that will be much greater in honor and glory when the Mashiach comes, right? So if you want to understand the status of a Jew at the end of time, in the Messianic era, then watch her funeral. Or watch the glory, the glamour, the honor, right, the prestige of this woman. And that prestige is exactly what will be given to every single Jew alive, right? That's what's going to happen. So in a certain sense, you know, maybe this is really why she died now. And I tend to think, look, she could have lived another, country, another couple of years. Philip died last year. He was 99 years old, you know. I'm wondering if God took her because maybe she never really said anything to regret what England did to the Jews during the Holocaust. And as the head of state, right, she may, I, I think what she certainly should have uh, apologized, you know, in terms of what England did to the Jewish people and so on. What a tremendous betrayal of, the, of international law, you know. And anybody who wants to read about this, just get a hold of the book by Joan Peters from Time Immemorial, right? And that's the history of the problems that the Jews have today. It's all because of what England did. An absolute betrayal of the mandate of the uh, League of Nations, you see. <clears throat> and tragically, so many Jews lost their lives because they had no place of refuge which they easily could have had, and that certainly would have minimized the amount of people that died. 
Any questions? Can you speak louder? Wait, you're talking. I can't hear you. Reach out. No. Take me on speaker. Rabbi? Yes? Okay. Children. Okay. Biggest, uh, the best mohel in England at the time. And the reason was that she had connected herself to King David. She thinks she somehow uh, descended from David Amela. Yeah, right. So, yeah. so, Rabbi, okay. Well, I had mentioned that she's really, it was called the House of Hanover in Germany. She's really of German descent. She's not, in, she's not really English, even. Most people don't know that, and they certainly didn't want to advertise it. You know, that they, they, that they don't even descend from the original British, uh, you know. But she's really of German descent. I mean, uh, you know, uh, she thinks she's from David. This is all delusional thinking. Everybody wants to be con- con- uh, descended from David Melech, right? Even Yeshu, right? Even he wants to be connected to David Melech because, I mean, God says in Yeshai, you know, King David, that's where my kingdom will come from. So they all have this delusion. You see? Rabbi, could I ask yes. you, so then why, why did Israel then um, do the flag of England if she was not so great? Why did they acknowledge her, her death and uh, why did they do that? Yeah, because they have to. Look, they have to politically. Look, England, Britain is, uh, you know, a major country on, in the world, Britain is considered a first world nation, you know. So just purely for politics, you need to acknowledge, you know, or, you know what she did and so on. But I'm not saying, look, I'm not, and no, she, look, she became queen in 1953 or 54. She obviously never had a hand in any of this. My, my grievance with her is why didn't she ever acknowledge what the British did? They killed, because of them, they killed, Jews were killed en masse. And, they, and what they did was illegal. And the world continues to think that the Arabs have a say in Israel. Of course not. Most of these Arabs are from Syria that the British let in because that's what the, they wanted to curry favor with the Arabs. There were very few uh, original uh, Arabs that actually lived there, you know, very few of them. Most of them are immigrants. That's really what it is. Nobody wants to admit this, right? Because a form of anti-Semitism today is to destroy Israel. That's what anti-Semitism is today, you see? And the way you destroy Israel is a two-state solution, which is an insanity. So there is no such thing as a two-state solution. The original occupants of Israel is not the Arabs. It's the Jews. You see, I'm not even talking about the religious idea that God gave Israel to the Jews. 
But the original occupants are the Jews. The Jews are not occupiers. Of course not. You see, this is a lie that is promulgated by Abbas and all the other anti-Semites that want to use this as a way of destroying Israel. You see, there is no such thing as a two-state solution. You see, the whole thing is a fiction. All of it. That's why if you read this book from time immemorial, you realize what the real story is. Now, Israel has to play along with this, obviously, because Britain is a first world nation, uh, so it's important, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I always find, you know, it, uh, you know it's, it's, it's the height of what's called chutzpah, that England that has caused so much misery to people all around the world because they colonized so many places and they were brutal in their colonization. You see, I always find it incredible, right, that they walk around as if they're God's gift to the world. It's unbelievable. You know, instead of bowing their heads in shame for what they did and admitting, you know, they walk around and they think there's something special about Great Britain. You see, <clears throat> My, my gripe, <clears throat> I, you know, I, don't, I don't really know anything about her. She probably was a very fine woman, you know. But my gripe is that as the head of state for what they did, how could you not take responsibility as the appointed or symbolic head of state? How could you say nothing? When Jews were killed, hundreds of thousands were killed because they wouldn't let them in. That's my grievance. You see? Okay. Thank you. But it's for the political reasons, obviously. Right. right. They have to Thank play you. along like everybody else. Right. Thank you. Rabbi, yes. also, there was a big rainbow, a double rainbow. Over there was a double rainbow? When? The day that she passed away, it was completely over Buckingham Palace. Like, it was humongous. It's in every news headline. <laughs> The pictures. Double. Really? That's very interesting. <clears throat> That's very interesting. Because I, I think there's some, there's some type of chazal, I don't remember where, but it says that before the Mashiach comes, there will be a double rainbow. So you're, you're saying that on the day she died, there was a tremendous yes. double rainbow over Buckingham Palace? It's in every single news headline across the world, the pictures. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. So maybe what I'm saying is correct. <laughs> right? Right. You know? So, Rabbi, I have a question. So yeah. If, if Esav has three characteristics, does all three characteristics, whoever nations those represent... <coughs> Do all three of them have to fall in order for the Mashiach to come? Yes. So Esav, communism fell, right? Right. So that's gone, right? Europe, in a certain sense, has fallen because they are now united as the European Union. So it's really one Europe. The individual nations has fallen. And besides, Christianity in Europe is dying. You know, I, I heard a statistic that the Church of England 
1% of the population of England goes to church in England. What's the death of Christianity? That's really what's happening. People may profess to be Christian, but they don't go to church. So what does that all mean? You see? And the United States is falling because of, uh, you know, Bob Biden. But Trump is changing the United States. So we are watching a change. You see? The, the temptations, um, the Tava, that represents the United States? Yes. Yes. America is a very pleasure-loving country. You know? America is, a, in many ways, a, a Medina Shochesed. You know, it's a country that is really given over tremendously to charity and good works. You know, that's really what America is. You know, and America is into the good life. We know that. You know? You know, they're not into killing people and, uh, you know, uh, taking over colonization and so on, you know. America, by and large, is a very good country. It's being destroyed by the Democratic Party, but in, in and of itself, right, is a, a very good country. Rabbi, that yes. Rainbow was above Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, and Victoria Memorial. What about it? The, what? The double, the double rainbow was yeah. over all those three places all at the same time. Which ones? Which cats? Which ones? Take off your, your speaker. Wait. Buckingham Palace. Yeah. Windsor Castle and uh, Victoria Memorial. Wow. That sounds like you hit it right on the head. Wow, I was not aware of that. It's amazing. What does a double yeah. rainbow mean, Rabbi? <clears throat> well, a, a double rainbow is a uh, sort of like, uh, I mean, the rainbow itself is to prevent the marble, right? The whole concept of a rainbow is a symbol, right, to prevent the marble from God, you know, it's to prevent... To, not to remind God, obviously, but to, uh, you know, prevent God from destroying the world, you know. So a double rainbow would be not only is he not going to destroy the world, but he's going to bring a redemption to the world, which is a permanent uh, way of saying, I will not destroy the world, because there will be a redemption. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you know, but I, I think it's a Zohar that says that before the Mashiach comes, there will be a double rainbow. And the fact that it was over her castles, which is the seat of her power on the day, on the time of her death, is unbelievably uh, symbolic of a, a sign that maybe that's what it's really all about, you know. <clears throat> Yeah. Is there a reason why the, the, se the second rainbow is, is in reverse, the colors? Well, you don't mean physically. No, but when you look at it, 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 the red is on the bottom and not the top. No, her rainbow, the red was on the top. 
No, no. The first rainbow is like a regular rainbow. And then if you look at the top one, it, the, the colors are in reverse. Oh, I see. see. Uh, I would imagine. I've never thought about it, but I would imagine. You know, it's, it's almost like uh, the redemption will be of such a way that uh, the, 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 uh, the, um, the arguments for redemption will be total either way. In other words, there won't be any kitrugim, you know. It's almost like saying the arguments for redemption will be conclusive. So either way you look at it, there's a redemption. That's one way of interpreting. What? Rainbow appeared as they were bringing down the Union Jack is lowered to half mass. That's when the rainbows came up. I don't know what a Union Jack is. What is that? Union Jack is is the flag of Britain. So as they were lowering it to half mass, that's when the rainbows appeared. Where did it say that? On uh, what you call it, uh, Wi-Fi. Oh yeah. That's a, that's amazing. I mean that is that that is messianic. Daily Mail. The Daily Mail. Daily Mail. That is messianic. Because it tells you what all of this is about. <clears throat> so so bottom line, you think that um, she died because the end of that rain is gone and now it's the entering of the Mashiach because you can't have two kings at the same time like what's the right right yeah it's symbolic that that's the end of the Malchus of Esau because his he has a Malchus uh, you know in fact at the end of uh, Parshas if I remember uh, right before Vayeshev right It says these are the kings that reigned in Edom before there reigned a king in Israel. You see. And it goes through seven kings. So that has a lot of Kabbalistic meaning. But what we see is that uh, that, um, the end of the kingdom of Esau ends and then there will be a king of Israel. You see. And this is a, and this could be the classic uh, example, where she dies, and that is symbolic of the end of Esau, the end of the reign or the rule of Esau, and now we can look forward, right, to the kingdom of the Mashiach. Yeah, you know, that's what it says. So what do you think King uh, Charles will have a, you know, what, was his, what do you think his role will be in the divine plan? Well, I, look, I don't really know much about Charles. I do remember that he was filled with sca- tremendous scandal. You know, I mean, if you remember years ago, 1997, Princess Diana, Queen Diana, died, you know. Uh, look, they were both adulterous. He was, uh, you know, with other, he was with uh, uh, another woman, I think Camille. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was running around with some Egyptian Arab and so on, you know. So they were both committing adultery. I mean, what can you really say about that? Uh, you know. Divorced when she was with the Arab. What was that? 
But she was with other men while she was married, Rachel. She was with other men. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, what I, from what I remember, uh, she was still, I, uh, I don't know if she was still married. I think she was still married to Charles. Mm-hmm. Yes, she was. Yeah, yeah, she was. I think you're mistaken. But they're both adulterers. I mean, what, what was the, you know, and there was other, a lot of scandals. Look, the royal family is filled with scandals, filled with it. You know, all the, all the uh, children of, uh, you know, Diana and Charles, and he, he himself, I mean, if you go back to the, many of the incidents uh, in the newspapers, many, many people laughed at the royals. And so what kind of family is this, you know? They're either all philanderers or they're all jet-setters, you know, without responsibility. I mean, whatever, you know. You know, they did not, they did not have good reputations. What can I tell you? So I, I don't view Charles as anything serious, you know. Like I said, I don't really know much about him. But, but, uh, I, I, but all I remember Prince is that William. from time to time, you'd always hear a scandal in the, about the royals. But not with his son, William. His son, William, yeah, that could seems be, to be... Yeah, I don't recall uh, uh, right. any scandal with William, right. So, right, and that could be, yeah. Uh, so, Rabbi, I just want to tell you something. It's Laura from, and I, I'm back in Montreal. I went to a yeah. Shiva Brachat, and I was telling someone about what I was learning with you. And she, yes. I didn't even tell her your name. And she said, is that Rabbi Kassin? Kassin? And I go, how do you know? She goes, because I listen to him all the time. So I just oh, wanted wow. to tell you that. Okay? Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank okay. you. Thanks. Okay. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, these are my thoughts about, uh, you know, what happened. Is there any coincidence also that it's in the month of Elul? <laughs> yes, because it says there's an argument in the Gemara, when is the redemption going to happen? So Rabbi Eliezer says that the Geul is going to happen in Tishrei. That's number one. And we are, what, less than two weeks from Tishrei. Second thing is Yosef HaTzadik was released from prison in Rosh Hashanah, on Rosh Hashanah. So that's a second very interesting. That means the Gzera, the decree against the Mashiach ben Yosef, ends on Rosh Hashanah. You see. And the third thing to remember is that this Rosh Hashanah is Moitzoy Shemitah, is the end of Shemitah. And the Gemara says that Eim ben David Bo, Mashiach ben David comes at the end of Shemitah. So you have three ideas why it's very possible that this Rosh Hashanah or Tishrei can be a messianic uh, time. You know, and also the Tavshin Te Gimel, which is the year, is Tishnas. It will be the year of uh, Perik Geula, a time of redemption. So even the Rosh Tevis are interesting in that sense. <clears throat> so like I say, you know, um, there's no question that we are getting very close, you know. One rabbi said, Tieshina Panasagadola. Okay. I'll go along with that. <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> why not? But it could be Gula, because Gimel is Gula, you know. I, I, I'd rather the Gula, so. 
Right, because <laughs> with a gula, anyway, there will be a panasa gedola, right? Exactly, yes. <laughs> I'll take yours. <laughs> yeah, right. You know. Anyway, those are my thoughts. <clears throat> you know. So, you know, like I say, the main idea is that, I, you know, I don't, have, I don't know who she was, really, obviously. I don't know what her personal stance were. But as a head of state, where was this woman? In terms of what England did, you know. What a, betray- what a tremendous betrayal of the uh, mandate of the League of Nations and to the Jewish people, you know. All, that, all the people who died, for what? For what reason? Because they wanted oil from the Arabs. So therefore, people have to die for that. I mean, we cannot even begin to understand the evil of that country, what that country did. You see? They're going to get majorly punished when the Messiah comes, no? Of course. Of course. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the Jews were expelled from England anyway, several times. You know? So how is it that a Rabbi uh, Jonathan Sachs never had a meeting with the Queen to tell her or to, uh, you know... I don't know. I, I, you know, it's, I, I'm, I would imagine. The problem is when you're in such a place of pomp and so much uh, diplomacy and so much, you know, uh, uh, chivalry and all that kind of stuff, it's very hard to be, to berate a queen. You don't, you don't, in many ways, you don't feel it's your place, you know. And uh, look, I can imagine, you know, it's, it's not easy to confront a woman. You have to be tremendously uh, defiant and courageous to do that, you know. Okay. Okay. I also believe, by the way, that it's a punishment to Elizabeth that she will not, she died. If the Mashiach is almost upon us, then it's a tremendous punishment to her that she does not see the Messianic era. And that's because so many Jews died and she said nothing. You know. Because she is the symbol of, of Asaph. 